Welcome to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. For free rankings, player values, waiver wire tips, and trade advice, follow him online at dynastyfreaks.com or email dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. Hello and greetings from Austin, Texas. Welcome all of you Dynasty Freaks. Admit it, it's okay. You're addicted to Dynasty. I am too. My name's Justin Christopher and I am a Dynasty Freak. That's a freak with two E's. It's a long explanation. Anyway, I love the NFL. I watch every game every week. I love drafting, trading, scouting, managing all of my teams. And this time of year, drafting for all of my teams. We do that 365 days a year. So do you. So let's talk some Dynasty. Here's what we have on store today. Today we're actually going to be grading um, and giving you a little insight into my first ever FFPC uh, Dynasty League. So I've heard about these uh, FFPC uh, high stakes leagues for quite some time on various podcasts that I listen to. The ads always boasted about their history of Dynasty leagues and how like in 10 years no Dynasty league has ever folded and that buy-in start at $77 for a league and go up as high as $5,000 Per league, So I just decided it was time for me to test my skills against other high-stakes players and join one of these leagues. I am a low-stakes player amongst the high-stakes player, meaning that I actually just joined one of the $77 leagues, which turns out it's actually uh, you have to pay for two years in advance, you know, because they want you to be committed. And so I paid $154 to join a new league. Uh, This is really fun. I'd heard about it for so long and just felt like, man, this is the time. I want to join one of these drafts this offseason and kind of test my merit, test my mettle against, you know, other owners that play, you know, in these, these uh, you know, high-stakes leagues that are, and are committed to it. First thing I did, though, of course, was to read all about these leagues. I had to find out about the league rules, the rosters, the scoring. I wanted to understand all the fine print so that I could develop a smart draft strategy, Right. So these leagues, it turns out, are very different from my other Dynasty leagues. So I had to uh, investigate them well. And here are some of the things that I found out about FFPC leagues and how the rules affected my draft strategy. So I'll start there. As I did my research, here's what I found out, and here's how it affected my draft strategy. Then what I want to do is tell you kind of what happened before the draft and then what happened during my draft. So hope this helps you. We'll be able to kind of talk a little bit about player values and some of the guys that I drafted and why. You'll get to hear a little bit about that. Um, as well as just kind of venture with a rookie in the FFPC. Maybe you're thinking about joining an FFPC league yourself, and you can hear a little bit about the actual format and what I think is the best way to approach a draft with this kind of format. So let's start by talking about roster size. FFPC leagues are 12-team leagues that roster 20 players with three IR spots. Um, So that's a max of 23 players if you have three guys on the IR. Uh, the startup draft then is only 20, 20 rounds deep. So the startup draft is going to be 240 players drafted total, which if you've been listening to me, you know that I'm used to playing in 27 to 30 man rosters and 10 and 12 team leagues. So I'm used to playing in leagues where you roster 300 to 324 players and a startup draft would draft 300 to 324 players. Um, but here you've only got 240 players. Plus you have to draft a kicker and a defense in this draft. So really it's really kind of only an 18 positional player draft. So first thing I learned right away is this roster is much thinner than the rosters that I'm used to drafting for. And so I realized very uh, quickly that in this draft, this startup draft I was about to enter into, that I had to make sure every player on my roster, almost every player, was startable. Meaning I couldn't draft a lot of unproven players or rookies to stash and try to wait for them to develop because there just wasn't room for them to develop. 
in a thin roster like this. Because of this, too, in addition, the FFPC leagues, there are no free agency moves during the offseason, just trades. So there's no free agency acquisitions at all. And so, you, and then not only that, before the NFL draft, so next year before the NFL draft in this league, we have to drop down to 16 players, which again is really just 14 players because positional players, because they make you keep a defense and a kicker when you drop down to 16. After that, then you do a uh, seven-round rookie draft that includes all the free agents. So if you think about it, if you've got 14 play, positional players rostered on all your teams, you're basically starting your rookie draft yeah, from the free agency standpoint from like the 15th round. So think about a startup draft in the 15th round. 15th round players are the ones that are going to be available um, for the rookie draft in addition to all the rookies that are thrown in to the draft class at that point too. So all that to say you have to cut down in a year, we're going to have to cut down to 16 players. So this is a very small roster compared to what I'm used to. I'm used to being able to hold 30 players throughout the whole offseason. We're here at some point, you're going, to, you're going to hold 20, maybe 23 with IR, but at one point just before the NFL draft, you got to cut down to 16, which is really 14 because you have to hold a defense and a kicker. So here's some of the things I told myself, given that I knew this about the roster size. Here's what I told myself going into this draft. Number one, that I would not draft any rookie wide receivers or tight ends. I just feel like they take too long to develop. I don't need to have any of them on my roster um, in a league that's this thin. I just can't afford to hold them. Second, I told myself that I would draft as many as one to two rookie running backs, but only at the right price. I wasn't going to reach for one because, again, they've got to show something pretty quickly or you're going to have to move them from your team. Um, So I was willing to draft one or two. Another thing I told myself is I decided that I would draft older, proven players and go for more of a win-now draft strategy. But I was willing to get a few younger guys on my team, but only the guys that had already kind of proven something. So someone who's maybe already done something in their first or second year that showed that they had the possibility to be flex-worthy right away but had immense upside so they could go way up from there. So they had to already prove, if they were younger, they had to already proven something. I wasn't going to draft anyone that was just kind of a prospect. Another thing I decided was that I decided that the value of a 2020 first-round pick was about the equivalent to a sixth-round pick in this startup draft. So that was especially, uh, for me, I was trying to go with a win-now strategy for this draft, which meant I was going to be willing to start trading any of my picks from my sixth round on for a first or second-round rookie draft pick, rookie-slash-free-agent draft pick, as you heard me describe earlier. And last thing I said that kind of aimed at roster construction, what I aimed to do in this draft was to get, of course, one kicker and one defense. I had to do that. So with my other uh, 18 players that I had left, I wanted to get two quarterbacks and two tight ends. Just that would be it, two quarterbacks, two tight ends. And then I wanted to get six to seven running backs, six to seven wide receivers. So roster construction, that's what I knew I wanted to do. Now let me tell you about FFPC scoring because now I had to kind of look into the scoring and think what was it about the scoring in FFPC leagues that uh, was unique to the scoring that would affect my draft strategy. It wasn't a whole lot, but there was one significant thing. So FFPC leagues are PPR. And so we know, you know, with PPR, we got to value pass catchers, receivers, and or running backs um, a lot higher. But the trick in FFPC is they're also tight end premium and that tight ends are actually 1.5 PPR. So 1.5 PPR for tight ends. The rest of the scoring is actually pretty pretty standard. The only thing on the notes was a little bit different was that, that quarterbacks are four points per touchdown, 
which most of my dynasty leagues are. Some aren't, but are there four points per touchdown? But they do get one point per 20 yards passing, whereas in most of my other leagues, standard leagues tend to be like one point for 25 or 30 yards passing. And so from that standpoint, I wanted to give like a little bump up in my draft strategy to quarterbacks who um, were proven to throw for a lot of yards, you know, high yardage quarterbacks. So given the scoring, there wasn't a whole lot of scoring differences from other leagues that I'm used to, but here's what I decided. Uh, I decided going into this draft that I would draft proven PPR players with my first few picks. My real goal was to get as many number one targets on a team as I could possibly get. Like I wanted guys that had proven that they were the number one target on their team, no matter what their quarterback was going to target them first for many years in a row. Like I wanted this to be proven. Like I know without a doubt this next year and the years after that, until this player gets really old, they're going to be the number one targeted player on their team. That was my number one goal, especially with my first few picks. Another thing I determined based on the scoring was that I was much more willing to take a tight end early in this draft given the 1.5 PPR. Uh, You'll hear more about that in a bit as to what I actually did, but I knew with this new factor of 1.5, you know, the tight end premium, that I was uh, willing to take a tight end early. Um, Second thing, or third thing that I knew based on scoring was that I was willing to go wide receiver early and target the pass catching backs late, given it's a PPR late especially if I was signed to draft spots 7 through 12. Like, I didn't know at this point what I was going to be assigned to for the draft. And, you know, all those stud running backs are going to go in the first five, six, seven picks. And so I told myself, hey, if I'm in the back end of the draft, I have to be willing to go, you know, wide receivers or let's just say pass catchers uh, at the end of the draft and then just try to go for pass catching running backs later in the draft. Other thing I learned from the scoring, it wasn't a huge factor, but like I already said, I did want to target a quarterback uh, who would finish the season high in passing yards if possible. Um, I was definitely not going to draft a quarterback early in this draft. Um, so I, when it came time for me to really consider a quarterback, I wanted to look maybe at one that had the highest passing yardage consistency from year to year. Finally, from this roster and scoring standpoint, uh, DST and kicker, I knew that they'd be my last two picks. <laughs> like I, I just wasn't going to draft a d- defense and a kicker until my last two picks no matter what. Next thing I learned about this uh, FF, FFPC league is very different from my other dynasty leagues that I do is there's um, waivers in FFPC leagues. There's no waivers during the offseason, which is really kind of a bummer because that's like one of my favorite things. Like I'm always tinkering with my with my uh, roster throughout the offseason, but this would be one of those leagues, I guess, where I just don't get to do that. Like when the season's over, you can make as many trades as you want. Uh, we were actually texting back and forth uh, when I start when we started the draft. We started to group me with all these guys that are in this draft. Uh, don't know any of them from Adam. I don't know any of these guys, but it's been a fun uh, the way we've just been communicating on chat and through our group me uh, app. Not everyone joined the app, but a bunch did. And we were talking about it. One guy said he's in another FFPC league, and last year they had seventy four trades in their in their league. So I think this could be a high trading league. So that's kind of exciting for the off season. But there's no waiver moves. In fact, after this draft, here's what we learned that when I looked at the rules. So we're going to draft these 20 players in this draft, but after this, there's no waiver moves made until the week before the season starts. And then you just go straight into the regular kind of waiver system throughout the, um, th- throughout the season. So no waiver moves would be made. And then we have a $1,000 FAB budget uh, from that point on to the end of the season. What this told me about the draft, it was small, but it told me that I was more willing to take running back handcuffs as a result. So if I had a guy that I planned on starting um, and was injured you know, during practice or during the preseason game, I wanted to be sure that I had their backups. So I was more willing to draft my own backups 
In addition to that, I was willing to draft a lot of number two running backs in particular in case the number ones go down during the preseason or um, sometime leading up to week number one. Uh, the running back values, I think, if there's any injury, running back values are going to spike if you have one of those number two guys. Everyone's going to either be asking to trade for the player that you have on your team, or if in the case I back up my own team and one of my guys gets injured, at least I have the backup. That was just a slight strategy given the way that the FFPC does waivers. Final thing, as I mentioned, this is different for those of you who might be wanting to join an FFPC league. This is something that's pretty different is their standings. So FFPC leagues are really unique in the way that they do their standings because they use what's called victory points. And that means that when you play a team head-to-head, the winners get two points and head-to-head losers get no points. You get two points if you win head-to-head. But this this is the other element. The four highest scoring teams of the week even if you were to lose, you know, if you, you, you know, you, you've done that before, we are the second highest scoring team and you lose to the first highest scoring team. Well, even so, in, in these uh, victory points, what happens is the four highest scoring teams in the league also get two points. So you could possibly get four points if you were among the top four scoring and you won your head-to-head. You get four points for that week. The middle four teams get one point and the lowest scoring teams for a week get zero points. So here's the deal. Your team record is not just based on head-to-head record, but on overall victory points. So uh, that's pretty significant uh, difference with this league. Now, when I started thinking about it from the draft standpoint, um, it didn't make a huge difference in how I drafted, but it did make me lean more, just a little bit more, toward playing players that can win weeks by themselves. You've seen that before. Like I wanted to get a few players, especially early in the draft, that I felt like had super safe floors but also were like proven top scores. Like they regularly will be the top scoring receiver or running back or tight end in the, in the whole you know, league for that week. And so I wanted to get some guys like that that I felt like could get me some really strong uh, victory points as well. So let's talk some about the draft. We were assigned our draft position two days before the draft, so there could be times for trades before the draft began. I was actually given the 10th spot. So I was a little disappointed with that, um, but I just knew I could, I could make, you know, make money and do what I had to do no matter where my position was. So when I found out that I got the 10th spot, I was pretty sure I wasn't going to get any of the stud running backs. Like that was obviously pretty certain here. And so I knew right away that I was likely going to be going into a, a wide receiver heavy start in this PPR league, possibly even a tight end if it was to happen uh, early for me. Right away, once the kind of positions were given, there were tons of trades that kept going. And I was immediately offered several trades from teams. And ironically, there are three teams that offered me trades for my 2020 first-round pick for my 2019 sixth-round pick, which is which is really confirming to me because when I was thinking about it, I valued a 2020 first-round pick. Remember that the first-round pick is the equivalent of a rookie pick and or what would be about the 15th round of a startup. So not your top-end free agents that are out there, but you would have all the rookies entered into that. And so in my win-now strategy, um, I didn't want to take any of these uh, offers. So people were offering me. um, They wanted my six-round pick, four, which was 6.3. They wanted that for 2020 first-round pick. And I just wasn't uh, willing to do that. However, because I wanted to be a win-now team, someone actually offered me the opposite. They offered me a trade for my 2021st um, in exchange for their 20, um, in exchange for their 6.4. And so that was a trade I actually chose to accept. 
I was excited about it because it gave me back-to-back picks in the sixth round. It gave me pick 6-3, which was mine, and their pick 6-4, right at a turn where I felt like that was about to be where the proven win-now players were about to start dropping off. So before the draft started, I traded away my 2020 first-round pick and my 2019 11th-round pick to get up to number 6.4. And so we'll see how that plays out here in a minute. So in my inaugural FFPC 20-round startup draft kick, uh, draft uh, draft rather, uh, started on Tuesday, uh, June 4th, so two Tuesdays ago. And today I only actually have one pick left. It's not actually done yet. So this is about to be a, a two-week draft. If, I bet it'll end this weekend. We've got two more rounds left. But I only have one pick left because of trades that I made. And, of course, on that last pick, I'm just going to pick a kicker. So I can tell you what my team looks like minus, uh, minus a kicker, right? So I'll tell you real quick who my players are. Then I'll tell you how they went down in the draft. My quarterback is uh, Ryan, uh, Matt Ryan and Tom Brady. My running backs are Damian Williams. Mark Ingram, Miles Sanders, James White, Carlos Hyde, Jamal Williams, and Gus Edwards. My wide receivers are Julio Jones, Brandon Cooks, Robbie Anderson, Dante Pettis, Kiki Kuti, Jamison Crowder. My tight ends are Travis Kelsey and Dallas Goddard. My kicker, like I said, yet to be drafted, will be my last pick, and my defense is Minnesota. Um, I'll list the players that I drafted here and just tell you a little bit about what I was thinking when I drafted these players. I welcome your feedback too. Email me, com- comment, uh, go to the go to the website, leave a comment. I've got this whole article on the website that details the draft as well. We'd love to get some feedback for you. So here we are, my inaugural FFPC draft. My first pick at 110 was Travis Kelsey. Man, I've never drafted a tight end this early in my life. Never, right? So it was still kind of hard to do so. But the fact is that in this format, he last year he finished only he finished behind Alvin Kamara in total scoring. So look at total scoring of all the players in this format, and he finished behind Alvin Kamara. And so I already said that I wanted to get number one targets on a team that would surely get 150-plus targets this year, and Kelsey just fits that bill uh, to a T. I knew that it wouldn't hurt me. Uh, I knew that this would hurt me at running back later on in this draft, but at the same time I was still tap- happy to take him. Like I said, if you just try to keep each player um, equally, you know, position to position, he scored just behind Alvin Kamara last year. The fact that Tyreek Hill's likely suspension is happening uh, made me even more, made me like him even more. I like that he's rarely injured and just felt like a super safe pick here. I thought about going wide receiver instead of tight end, but when I looked at the receivers that were available, I felt like five picks later, which I was going to get in the next pick five picks later, that one of the guys that I kind of had in the same tier were there, whereas Kelsey I really just had as the top tight end. So went Kelsey at 1.10. When it came to 2.3, I drafted Julio Jones. So speaking of target hogs, right, here's another. He and or Juju were the guys that I hoped uh, would fall to me. Juju actually went right after Travis, Travis Kelsey. Um, but I was thrilled, thrilled, thrilled to see Julio Jones fall to me. I'm not at all concerned about his age. Like I said, going into this draft, particularly early, I wanted proven players, and Julio puts up the same numbers year to year to year. This is crazy consistency. Granted, he may not be the best touchdown scorer that we want him to be, but his receptions in this PPR league and his yards are among the highest in the league year to year to year. So I didn't even think twice about drafting him. When it came to 3.10, I drafted Damian Williams. And to be honest, here's where I had my first and what I'd call maybe my only crisis moment of the draft. 
I thought for sure these were the guys that I was hoping would fall to me in the third. Carryon Johnson, Marlon Mack, or Josh Jacobs. Like I was sure that one of them would fall to me. And I was going to be pleased to have them be my wide receiver or my running back number one. But six running backs were taken ahead of me in this round. Uh, man, and I was really disappointed. So when it finally came to me, I was really just debating between three guys. I felt like I had to go running back. I had Devontae Freeman, I had David Montgomery, and, of course, Williams here. Knowing that I wanted to be a win-now team, I actually went with a very unproven Williams here instead of Freeman because I believe he's just very injury-prone. Follow my work, and you'll see that I've been saying that for a while. And Montgomery, I just didn't feel like I could reach for him at this point yet. I wanted to get someone that I felt like had the starting role, and this is when all the buzz was coming out to, you know, from Kansas City that Williams will be their starter. Fact is, too, I always trust in Andy Reid. He always finds a way to make money out of his running backs. Um, and then I knew, too, that I was going to be do whatever I had to do to be committed to getting Carlos Hyde in this draft since I've been so high on Carlos Hyde this whole offseason. If you listen to the last podcast, you've heard me talk about that probably more than once. But um, So I went with Damon Williams. I just feel like in a PPR league, uh, he's going he's gonna to help me out and he's going to be the type of running back that I need to have help me in this league, particularly given that I went uh, Kelsey and Julio early. When it came to 4.3, I drafted Brandon Cooks. I debated quite a while between he and A.J. Green here. Uh, Green fit my definitely fit my win-now strategy, but the fact is that he's older and he's become a lot more injury-prone two of the last three years, of course. He's also adapting to a new coach and a new offense. So Cooks is five years younger and while it's hard to say for sure that he's the number one there in L.A., I mean, with Woods and Cup, it's just kind of a, they're all in the mix there, almost equal sometimes. Um, he has had 1,000 yards and all, like, every every year. So I feel like no matter what, I've got a guy that's going to be a thousand yard, get a 1,000 yards for me. And I love the fact that he's got the longer-term contract there in L.A. So I think, you know, given this incredible offense that McVay um, runs there in L.A., that he's proven he's got the longest contract, um, He'll be there. Also, given a little bit of the uncertainty around Gurley, it could be that they have to move to the passing game a little bit more. So I was happy to get Cooks there at number four. Number five, uh, five ten. I picked up Mark Ingram. Um, I felt like I missed out on another running back run. Again, this happened to me. It was pretty frustrating. I had uh, Kenyon Drake, Rashard Penny, and Chris Carson were the guys that I was targeting, but they were all consecutively drafted right in front of me. So here I was a little bit lost again, feeling like I needed to pick up a second running back. And I just wanted to go with a guy that I felt like had some certainty with his pick. And I feel like Ingram, while he's not going to help me in the PPR side like Damian Williams will, uh, Lamar Jackson was one of the worst uh, throwing to running backs, uh, quarterbacks last year. Um, Ingram can can catch, but I don't think this offense is going to allow him to catch very much. Um, But here's what I'm banking on. I'm just banking on the carries. And I'm banking on him being the the goal line back and scoring some touchdowns there in Baltimore. so running backs adjust better to their new teams, so going to Baltimore shouldn't be a bit too big of a transition for him. Um, I trust that Ingram's going to get the bulk of the carries in, in Baltimore, and so we're just trying to go with a high-volume guy here at this pick. Now here's where I made a little bit of a change. I started to get a little bit concerned about my lack of running backs and the depth that I had there, and I felt like I needed to make a move, even though I had the pick 6.4. So I only had five picks between me and the Mark Ingram pick. I just felt like I needed to get kind of a two-for-one type of thing. Like I needed two players instead of having to wait all the way till my 7-10 pick. And so I um, made a trade. Um, I had picks uh, 6-3. Well, I had actually had picks 6-3 and 6-4, the ones that I traded for, remember, before the draft started. 6-4 was the one I traded for for my 2021st. 
but I still felt like I couldn't wait that long for these guys. I didn't want to wait around that turn and have to wait five picks. And so I ended up making a trade uh, that was ahead of me that also had back-to-back picks, but they were in front of me. And so I traded picks 6-3 and 6-4 in addition to 12-3 and 13-10. So 6-3, 6-4, but then I also traded away my, my 12th round and my 13th round pick. And I did that for his 5-12 and 6-1 and 11-5. So basically I moved up a few spots to get the guys that I received and an 11th round pick. And if you remember, I traded away my 11th round pick um, in that draft, in the, in the uh, draft pick that gave me the 6th round pick. So I got back into the 11th round but dropped out of the 12th and 13th round. And I moved up just a few spots to get the guys that I wanted. So that's really what I was thinking there. Um, and then I finally landed with this pick, my guy, Miles Sanders. Like, he's, he's been my guy. If you've been following me, you know that he's been my number one or number two ranked rookie most of the offseason. Uh, you can see my rookie rankings on my website. He was the one rookie that I was willing to draft and hold on to, even though these FFPC rosters are pretty thin. I love that Philadelphia identified him as the running back that they wanted. Like, they were eager to get him. I'm sure they have plans to use him this year. Yeah, they picked up Jordan Howard in free agency, but that was before they knew Sanders would fall to them in the draft, so I don't think that we have to worry too much about Howard. The truth be told, Sanders might not play a lot for me this year, maybe even at the start of the year, uh, but I think that he'll be my running back of the future once Howard is gone. Um, I love uh, Philadelphia's uh, staff and how they evaluate players, trust them immensely, and love Miles Sanders. was happy to get him on my team like I have on many of my teams this offseason. So I drafted Sanders in my very next pick, with a pick right after that, uh, since I traded up, was for James White. This was the other guy that I needed to pick up in the trade. Uh, White's just been like a PPR gold for the last two years. I, and honestly, I really can't believe that he fell this far in the draft in a PPR league. It was, it was crazy to me. Sony Michelle and Damian Harris can fight it out for who's going to be the first or second down back or be the between-the-tackles guy there in New England. But one thing we know for sure is that White is the passing down back. That's untouchable on this team, and they're going to need him even more. And now that Gronk is gone, I feel like they're going to go to trying to be more of a running team and a short pass team. And so, man, to get White here, really I felt like kind of solidified my, my backfield so that I had, now I had um, Damian Harris, but I also had James White, so I got two kind of PPR uh, good running backs. I had Miles Sanders for the future, and I had Mark Ingram for the short term. Um, as not necessarily a PPR back, but a guy that's going to get a lot of touches. Moving to the seventh round, 7.10, I grabbed Robbie Anderson. I was surprised at this point uh, to get what should be the most targeted wide receiver on a team. Like I said, that was one of my goals was to try to get the number one targeted player on a team, and I felt like I got one here all the way in the seventh round in Robbie Anderson. Um, I had, uh, feel like he's he has proven himself to be a wide receiver one, like a top 12 running back for, I mean, wide receiver for spurts. Both two years ago, he did it for a couple games, you know, six, eight game stretch. And then last year at the end of the season for about a six game stretch, he was a wide receiver one as well. Seems like he and Darnold really, uh, evaluate, you know, developed some sort of connection with each other at the end of last year. Um, he has the PPR value and he has the kind of win a week kind of victory point scoring like I said, in this league with the victory points, I feel like Robbie Anderson's one of those guys that can just be a number one scorer for a given week. I know that firsthand by having him knock me out of the playoffs in the semifinals last year in one of my leagues just because he had a ridiculous game. In 8.3, so a few picks later, I drafted Dante Pettis. 
Uh, here's where I started to pepper in a little bit of youth, but what I called like I wanted to do like proven youth. I wanted to get youth, but I wanted to get youth that had already proven something. And Pettis was really great at the end of the last year. He's always been a player that I valued. If, you, if you've been following me, you know that I've had him ranked a lot higher than any other analyst. Um, he remains to be kind of remains to be seen who's going to be the the true number one wide receiver in San Francisco, whether that be the rookie Debo Samuel, if Marquise Goodwin comes back, or if it's going to be Pettis. Of course, none of them will out-target George Kittle, so he's going to be the number one target there. But I'm sure one of these guys is going to rise in value, and my bet is on Pettis. I, I was happy to draft him there kind of as my first uh, upside draft pick that I got, younger guy for upside, which I did again at 9.10. So in the ninth round, I, I drafted Kiki Kuti. Um, I see Kuti much the same way I see Pettis. I don't think he'll ever be the number one target in Houston with Hopkins there, obviously, but he could become the number two because I really see Fuller as more of a downfield threat, whereas I, say, I see Kuti as really the more PPR monster that I really want to get. He's going to be the underneath guy that's going to get a lot more catches um, he's already had several 10-plus targeted games in Houston already in his rookie year. And I feel like uh, Hopkins and Fuller in the lineup, it doesn't matter. They all kind of have different roles, and QT is going to be the guy that I could really see being like a flex, a flex player, like starting for me right away and uh, just taking up those PPR points and seeing what happens with him. Hopefully he can get a couple touchdowns mixed in there and yardage along the way. Moving to the 10th round, um, I actually drafted my first quarterback, Matt Ryan. Here was the deal. I only had two picks to go before I was going to have to wait for two rounds. So here in the 10th, I had an 11th, and I feared that after, um, if I didn't draft a quarterback, there was going to be a huge quarterback run, and I was going to miss out on some of the guys that I wanted. And boy, was I correct. There were 11 quarterbacks drafted between these rounds, and when I when I drafted Matt Ryan in, in the 13th, and the, between then and the 13th round, which I didn't want to wait till the 14th round when my picks came around. So. I felt like I needed a move for a quarterback here. I chose Ryan over guys like Russell Wilson and Carson Wentz because I feel like uh, he'll throw for uh, far more yards than, than they will. Um, I think, you know, touchdowns could be about the same as them. But in this league that has a little edge to yardage, I like Matt Ryan to get a lot more yardage uh, passing than Wentz or Wilson will. Um, he plays 13 games indoors this year, and for whatever reason, the Falcons play much better in your indoors, so that's a little side thing that pushed him up in my rankings a little bit. And I'll admit it, the uh, Ryan to Julio connection that I'll have now makes me a little bit more excited about Ryan. I love to double up on those points. I love the fact, too, that Ryan just uh, never gets hurt. And so I thought this pick allows me to wait for quite a while for my quarterback number two because Ryan rarely, rarely gets hurt. Comes to the 11th round, 11.5. I drafted Carlos Hyde. Uh, this pick was part of the previous trade that I made in the fifth round. Um, I wanted to get back into the 11th round because I traded that way, that pick away, and primarily for this reason. I thought that this would be the round where I could target, target Carlos Hyde. Um, I needed him as a handcuff to Damian Williams. Like I said, when I drafted Williams, I was convinced and committed that I was going to do whatever I had to do to get Hyde. may have drafted him a little bit early, but uh, that's why I drafted back into the 11th round because I thought, hey, this is where I can pick him up. So if you followed me, you know that I love Hyde, and I feel like he could actually beat out Williams. His best years of his career were when he was in San Francisco when they actually used him as more of a passing down back. And other teams just haven't given him the chance to show that he could do that. He's very capable of doing that, and Andy Reid knows how to do that as well. So um, one of these two guys, either Williams or Hyde, are going to be a stud for me this year. I'm, I'm confident of that. 
Then I did something different here. Here at 11-9, I didn't have this draft pick, but knowing that I was about to have to watch two rounds go by uh, without picking, I felt like I wanted to draft, uh, wanted to trade up one last time to get a player to solidify my team. And I noticed that one team uh, tended to be going for what the, you know, uh, Ryan McDowell's uh, productive struggle, as he calls it, strategy overall. Uh, this was a team that just kept trading back and collecting a lot of draft picks. He's the same team that actually traded away my first-round draft pick next year, too. Seemed like he was just constantly wanting to draft back or trade back. And so um, I actually made a trade. So I traded up here to get number 11.9, and I traded away my 2022nd-round pick in 19, and this year is 1910 um, for this pick here at 11.09. And what I did was I drafted Dallas Goddard. Man, I love I love Goddard. He was my number seven tight end overall in my in my dynasty rankings. He fits the kind of young, but proven, with massive upside that I wanted to get depth in this draft. And so I was very surprised that he had not been drafted yet. Three tight ends went before him, and right after I picked Goddard, five tight ends went the next round after him. And so I knew there was going to be this kind of a run. And I had just had it, I had him ranked literally as my highest ranked dynasty player overall on the whole board at this point. And so I know he might not start for me now, but he'll definitely start for me in the future. And, oh, man, if, if Zach Ertz happens to get hurt, I hope not because I have Ertz in other leagues, but if Ertz gets hurt, uh, I will be running the two tight end set every week with Goddard and Kelsey in my lineup in this 1.5 PPR league for tight ends, and that would just be incredible. Either way, I got my, my tight end of the future, and I think Goddard's going to become more and more a part of the Philly offense as well, so I'm excited about that. Moving out of 14.3, so I had to wait 29 picks, and I couldn't afford to trade up again, nor did I need to do so. I felt like my starting team was set after the 11th round, like I'd really built out pretty much my starting team, including some young depth at every position except quarterback. So now it's just drafting for depth and guys who fill in on bye weeks or maybe spike in value if someone was to get hurt. I've always loved Jamal Williams, drafted him here at 14.3. Um, I've always had him ranked ahead of Aaron Jones until midway through the season. Last year, I finally had to admit that Jones was needed to move up in my rankings ahead of Jamal Williams. Um, still, I have them close, uh, closer than most people do. Um, he's proven that he could be uh, running back number two when he's given the workload. So I drafted him here simply because I still believe Jones is unproven and I still believe Jones is injury prone. I'd actually hoped to, that I could actually pair him with Dexter Williams and draft him later in a later round, but Williams went just ahead of me a couple picks before I was also going to get Dexter Williams to kind of get the Green Bay backfield backups. That didn't work out for me, but still happy to have Jamal Williams. At pick 15-10, I went with my second quarterback, finally, Tom Brady. Uh, Man, old guy to pick in a dynasty league, right? But I planned to take my second quarterback this round. I was really hoping that Phillip Rivers would fall to me, but he was taking a few picks before me. Uh, Before the NFL draft, we do have to cut down to 16 players in this league, remember, and that's 14 positional players, really, because you have to keep a kicker and a defense. And here's a fact. I just don't plan on holding two quarterbacks during the cut-down date. Like, whenever we cut down to 16 or really 14 positional players, I'm not going to roster two quarterbacks on my league. I just can't do it. And so Brady really felt like the perfect pickup here, that that Ryan's going to be my long-term quarterback. And I'd love to have Brady here because he could start for me on some weeks, and some weeks he might have a better matchup and I might start him. And I love the fact that Brady never gets hurt as well. So love having him as my quarterback too here, not worried about the age at all because he won't be on my team when we cut down to 16 players. At 16.3, I I drafted Jamison Crowder. 
I was really surprised. He was at the top of my queue for like two rounds. You know, if you get your little queue, I had him in my queue. He was on the top of my queue for two rounds. I was pleased to see him fall to me. Now, granted, wide receivers are iffy when they come to a new team as a free agent, but there are not many guys competing for the starting role in New York. And uh, Darnell has shown that he really liked his uh, slot wide receivers and the way that he targeted uh, Nuno f- uh, for quite a bit before he was hurt last year. Also, in this case, so now that I have Robbie Anderson, I kind of see Crowder as a small hedge against Robbie Anderson in case he were to get hurt. You know, I'm hoping that, that Gase and Le'Veon Bell can make the Jets' offense more explosive. And so I was happy to get Crowder here um, at 16-3. Getting here near the end, I had uh, Gus Edwards as my last positional player that I got at 17-10. I debated a lot of guys here, uh, but decided on picking a handcuff for Ingram since I have Mark Ingram. Justice Hill, you know, was taken much earlier. He'll certainly have a chance to become the number two or maybe even the number one, or maybe Kenneth Dixon will have a chance to do that too. But, man, when I just looked back at the end of the year and looked at uh, Gus Edwards' productivity at the end of last year, I decided to trust that he's really going to be the handcuff to Ingram. Um, We'll know more by the end of the preseason, too. And so really at this, you know, 17th round pick, I know that I can drop Edwards um, and, uh, you know, drop him during that one week of waivers that we're allowed to make before the season starts if I need to do so. In the meantime, if Ingram gets hurt during this, uh, you know, during the preseason or something like that, I'd definitely be happy to have Edwards. So I kind of hedged my bets a little bit there and uh, picked up on Edwards. Last pick that I can tell you about was at 18.3. I traded away my 19th round pick, so this was where I had to get a defense. I was actually super surprised to see that five defenses had gone before the 18th round. So I figured figured when I knew I had to draft a defense in the 18th round since I didn't have a 19th round, that I'd be the first guy to pick a defense. So it was kind of weird to me that in this draft of people who are pretty sharp that uh, several defenses were picked earlier, but... I guess every you know owner has their own strategy, ways that they want to go about things. Um, but I was happy just to pick up a defense. I like you know Minnesota's defense. I like Zimmer a lot as a coach. He's a great defensive mind. I think that they'll do well. They also don't have a bye week bye week until week twelve, so that was a factor for me too. That if they do you know start off really well, I can hold them. I don't think I'll ever hold. I don't think I'll ever roster two defenses on this league, um, given how thin the rosters are, and so. I'm just going to have to drop one to pick up another. If they do well, I at least got them through week 12 before I have to drop them. Finally, my last pick, which I haven't picked yet because this draft is lingering and lingering, hopefully it will be done this weekend, is uh, pick uh, 20.3. Um, I will be picking my kicker. So who will my kicker be? I don't know, <laughs> but I don't really care either. The fact that there are six kickers already taken this league really surprises me. Like if We're not even in the 19th round and six kickers have gone. That's crazy to me. I'll take him with my last pick. I'll just look for a guy that has a high scoring offense and I may give a little bit more weight to guys that kick indoors. That's all. That's kind of my only strategy. That's all I can say for kickers. So those of you who are thinking about an FFPC league, I hope this gives you an idea about some of the strategy, even the scoring, or maybe you've, you know, considered it, but now maybe you know a little bit more about how the leagues work. We'll see how it plays out. I hope on these podcasts, you know, in the in season that I'll actually be kind of giving you updates on how this team has been doing, and I'll certainly learn a lot. Can't promise that I did the best, but I had stuck to my strategy and feel pretty happy about my team. A little weak at running back, but pretty pretty stellar everywhere else. And so if my uh, PPR running backs can just catch a lot of passes for me and do something, I'll be pretty pleased with this team, I think. Well, that's going to be a wrap for me this week, Freaky Friends. Thanks so much for listening. 
Make it a two-way conversation anytime by contacting me at dynastyfreaks.com or email me dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. I'm much better at email than I am on Twitter, so email me anytime you want to get some advice or just ask some questions or tell me tell me how you're doing in your teams. We'd love to chat with you. You know, I've been building the website and the podcast for about a year now. I did that for two reasons before I really started to publicize it. One was to get better through practice and writing, but the more important reason was that I wanted to have more verifiable contestable content on the site so you can go back and look at articles or listen to podcasts from almost a year ago and see whether I was right or wrong. We're all going to be wrong time to time. You know, it is fantasy football overall, but I hope that you'll test me and see that I'm your most trustworthy, independent voice in the dynasty landscape. So now that I've been doing it for about a year, there's all this verifiable, contestable content on the website. I am going to start promoting the website podcast. You could really do me a huge favor by rating and reviewing the podcast on iTunes. If you would do that, that would make me very, very happy. It would help us kind of move up in their rankings and more people could find the Fantasy Freaks. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate your support. Until next time, you know what to do. Go out there. Get freaky. Thanks for listening to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. We welcome your thoughts and advice. Let us know what you'd like to hear on the podcast or see on the website to help you dominate your league. Justin prides himself in responding to every email, so hit him up anytime at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com and follow him on Twitter at LonghornJustin. Justin.